Sooner fans, Longhorn Nation, welcome to episode 80 of the Boomer Bebo podcast. The only podcast exclusively dedicated to covering the greatest rivalry in college football, the University of Oklahoma, and the University of Texas. I'm here with my man, Kevin Miller. I am John Whitson. The University of Texas is meeting a long familiar foe from their days in the Southwest Conference. And while David Klingler and Andre Ware are not walking through that door for the Houston Cougars, they are coming off of a historic win against West Virginia, where they literally pulled victory out of the jaws of defeat in one of the most exciting endings you will ever see. Kevin, in this first and last matchup in the Big 12 between the University of Texas and the University of Houston, will they have another Cinderella story and will they upset big, bad Texas? No. Wow. Shut that story down quick. Yeah, we'll get into the preview, but no. Nah, man. Uh, They'll be up for it. It should be a really loud, hostile atmosphere. But we'll have a lot of fans there, too. So, nah, man. No. Uh, Ed Ed Oliver is not walking out of that locker room. That's what you're telling me. That's exactly what I'm telling you. I was trying to think of famous uh, Washington Cougars that played football. He was. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Houston Cougars. Yeah, I think you named them all. David Klingler. Andre Ware. Ed Oliver. Ed Oliver. Yeah, who, Ed was Oliver. The, who was the quarterback a couple, three years ago? Oh. Um, he was on some Heisman that. lists early. Yeah. They beat was Oklahoma. It? I was at that game. Is it Ward? Yes. I think it was Ward. I was at that game at uh, the old. D.R. King. D.R. King. Mm-hmm. Not Ward at all. I was at that game. Oklahoma got beat down pretty good in that game, really. All yeah, Tom Herman was, pretty much got probably got Tom Herman the Texas job. It, it probably he was a true did. Freshman in that we had game. no, we had no. Well, we were up too, though. That was the what was so frustrating. We were up early in that game. Really had, but it's, it's special teams, man. Oklahoma can screw up some special teams so fast. We we saw that later, a couple of years later, in the Rose Bowl with some stupid decisions on, um, on squib kicking and stuff. But oh, you could just do some stupid stuff. I think we gave up a kickoff return. That was back during those three or four seasons when everybody was returning uh, field goals. Remember that? Yes, I do remember and, that. And I think we gave up a field goal return for a kick against Houston. So, really cool stadium to watch a game in, though, where the Texans play. It is yeah. It is so rad. I, what I remember from that game is just Ed Oliver, man. I mean, you're talking about a true freshman in his very first collegiate game just wrecking a really good OU offensive line. Yeah. Yeah. Also, no, I remember, I remember Joe Mixon absolutely going nuts, especially in the passing game. Well, I mean, keep in mind, Oklahoma. This is their first game coming off of college football playoff appearance. This was not a rebuilding year by any means. You had everybody back this year or that particular year, which would have been 16. 16, 2016. Um. Yeah, but I'll tell you what. This is not that same Houston team. They, they I. Whatever Dana Holgerson's doing there, it hasn't been good. Um, I feel like they've almost regressed 
in every year that he's been. I think this is a, a pretty easy matchup for Texas. Of course, we'll break it down. On the flip side, Oklahoma taking on the University of Central Florida. Uh, this is a reunion of sorts for Dylan Gabriel, who started his college career at Central Florida, played a lot of good ball for them. Gus Malzahn bringing a beleaguered um, Knights team to Owen Field, 0-3 in conference. It does look like they're going to get their quarterback back, John Reese Plumley, who Kevin and I talked about, was previously at Ole Miss. And that makes a lot of sense, Kevin, because John Reese Plumley might be the most Ole Miss quarterback name in the history of quarterback it's, names. It's literally the perfect name for a person and player at the University of Mississippi. It, it, yeah. John Reese. If, if he's not the quarterback, he's one of those dudes in a shirt and tie and a, and a sport coat on the Correct. sidelines. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, it's unbelievable. But anyway, we're gonna get, we're gonna break that down and more. Uh, Kevin, it's a really really good week of college football. Um, starting off early on a, with an eleven a.m. kickoff, Penn State taking on Ohio State. This is a four and a half point spread. Ohio State's favored at home. The big thing for me is I haven't been impressed with Ohio State's quarterback. Still not. To me, this is like the Marvin Harrison show. It's either Marvin Harrison or bust for Ohio State. And this is going to be the first. Notre Dame should have been the test. And if you look at what Notre Dame did against USC, it was. Yeah. maybe it was the test. And they, and they did pass that test. Barely. 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 Uh, I think Penn State is a better team than Notre Dame. So we're going to find out if Ohio State can stand up to the rigors. Hopefully, um, I don't know who, I guess the only coach, hopefully Joe Paterno does not come back from the dead to talk trash to Ryan Day, because that would be really awkward if Ryan yeah. Day decides to call out Joe Paterno on the sideline. Yeah, exactly. The way he went after Lou Holt after that game. I'm like, bro, I get it. You won. Just go out and tell everybody how good your team is. See, 90-year-old Lou Holt out of it. Um. Speaking of Notre Dame, they have a bye week this week. I'm still fired up about their win. It's amazing how good their defense plays when they have all 11 players on the field, isn't it? Correct. Think- and listen, they, they were really good against Ohio State, right? Just and they probably, like you said, they probably get the win if they have 11 guys on the field. Yeah, it's amazing right? when, when really you focus in the end zone. Then when you focus on the fundamentals, it's amazing the good things that can happen with that Ohio State offense. You know, we talked about Marvin Harrison. Clearly, he's the best wide receiver in college football. One of the best players in college football. They've got other dudes too. Emeka Buga. These guys are so talented, right? Fleming out there, but they've had some injuries there. So I'm really curious to see. Manny Diaz is a defensive coordinator. You guys remember him? He was at Texas for a few years. He actually got fired after the whole Taysom Hill thing. He had done some good things prior to that season. It just completely fell apart. It was the end of the Mac Brown era, too. So everything was kind of the yeah. whole program was crumbling, basically. But he's done a really good job there. Can they make enough plays defensively? Can they somehow cover Marvin Harrison, at least slow them down, keep them out of the end zone? Right. They're going to move the ball because he's just so good. But can they keep him out of the end zone? And then on the other side of that, their quarterback, Drew Allen, he's the most quarter- talented quarterback that Penn State has had in a very long time. If you think about it, they've had some tough guys, right? Like Trace yeah. McSorley, he's a tough yeah. guy. 
People used to compare him to Baker Mayfield. I mean, I thought the only thing that was similar about them was their size. Yeah. Trace McSorley was not in the same universe as Baker Mayfield as a quarterback, but he was a tough guy, gritty competitor. Drew Aller is a legit, talented quarterback. So I want to see if they can make the plays, too, that are needed to get this win. If you want Ohio State, this is a year it seems like to get them because I wouldn't say they're having a down year, but it's not that usual 50-point-a-game offense that we've seen from Ryan Day since he's been there. You know what's – what's Ohio State is one of those teams, though, that that a lot of things usually fall in place for them. So you're right. Like, this is the year – that oh, Penn State should be able to get them, right? They're gettable. But isn't it interesting that this is also the year that Ohio State gets to host them? Correct. You know, it's yeah, it's not Ohio point. State is reeling and going on the road. No, it's they get to entrench themselves at the horseshoe, take a run at them. Uh, this is a game we're going to pick, so we'll come back to it. But that's, again, Ohio State's favored by four and a half. Mississippi State is at Arkansas. Arkansas is a six and a half point favorite. Um, it's It's... Mississippi State must be really bad for Arkansas to be a six and a half point favorite. Well, you know, it's funny, man, because I, if you watch Arkansas, if you look at, if you actually watch them play, they're a pretty good football team, man. If you look at their losses, all their losses were like three points, seven points, yep, you know, eight points. They're, they've been in every game and they still haven't quit to be two and five. They've still been given, giving it their all. And we've seen teams fall apart when they have a few bad losses. Remember Texas in 2021? Oh, sure. You know, you lose the game against Oklahoma when they come back. Same thing happens against Oklahoma. And the wheels just completely fell off. That still hasn't happened for Arkansas. They're still playing hard. So, yeah, I actually think they're a good football team. So I do understand why they're favored against Mississippi State, despite their record. Baylor at Cincinnati. Cincinnati's a three-and-a-half-point favorite. Another game we're going to pick here, Tennessee at Alabama. Alabama is a minus Nine, nine points. Um, interest, let this stat sink in. The over and under for this game is 48 and a half. Wow. 48 and a half. Keep in mind that the score last year was 52 to 49. <laughs> so yeah. last year they doubled up that over under. So the the um the confidence that Vegas is putting into Jalen Milrow and Joe Milton, not nearly as high as it was last year. With that set of quarterbacks, uh, yeah, thoughts Bryce on Young this game? Hen- yeah, Bryce Young and Hendon Hooker aren't walking through that door, right? No, they are not. These teams are vastly different than they were last year. But I still think they're, they're two really good football teams. I love the Alabama defense this year, right? All three levels, I think they've been playing really well. We've been seeing them get after the quarterback with Dallas Turner. Linebackers are playing well, and so is the secondary. Terry on Arnold has been outstanding for them this year. The true freshman, Caleb Downs, is really good. Kool-Aid McKentry on the outside. So great secondary, great defense. Same with Tennessee, actually, right? We think about Josh Heifel. We think about the air raid. They Their offense is really more like the Browns' offense more than Mike Leach's air raid, but because of the, the deep shots, and it just hasn't been there for them, right? Joe Milton is just not the same type of quarterback that Hendon Hooker was, despite having just insane arm talent. He's just not as accurate. And they lost really good receivers, too, so it just hasn't been there. But defensively, they're playing really well. They got some guys from the portal, and they've been really getting after the quarterback. So it's a completely different matchup from last year. But it's one I'm looking forward to watching. Well, and here's the deal, right? Tennessee is a good football team now. They have a they have an odd loss to Florida, 
which left everybody kind of scratching their head. Yeah. But since then, they've bounced back really well. They still only have one loss on the season. Um, it's kind of the same story with Bama as it was as it is with Ohio State, which is this is a gettable year for Bama. You think that this is the year, if you want to beat Bama, you need to get after it. Um, and Tennessee, we talked about Arkansas just a second ago. Arkansas played Alabama within three points or something like that, right? Was it 24-21 or 26-21? Right. Some yeah. kind of weird. Uh-huh. It was within its touchdown. Tennessee's demonstrably better than Alabama is. I mean, than Arkansas is. Demonstrably yeah. better than Arkansas. So I, I, it's setting up for a, a uh, setting up for an upset. I don't know if it'll happen with as good as Bama's D is, but it's a very interesting game to watch. A preview on my pick on this game, because this is another one we're going to likely pick. That nine-point spread just seems a little bit too much for me. I don't love that nine-point spread when Arkansas can't even beat Alabama by more than three. Yeah, it's so interesting, right? Maybe they figured that Bama's just going to be up for it a little bit more playing against a traditional rival in Tennessee. But it's, even for Tennessee, with Alabama being at home, it's still a pretty large spread given the two teams. Washington State taking on Oregon. Oregon's a 20-point favorite coming off of their loss to Washington. Uh, Minnesota at Iowa. Iowa three and a half points, but the thing that caught my eye over under is 31 and a half. I mean, I think that things you can guarantee in life are Iowa being a good defensive team and a terrible offensive team. Every I, year, it's like clockwork. Uh, and you know, they put the clause in the, in the coordinator's contract. Did you hear about that? He ha- they have to average like 25 points a game or something, or he gets fired. I think I'm like, I don't know how that's going to happen. Like, I mean, they just don't do that. And I don't know if they like the style that they play. And think about all the great players that have come out of there, especially on offense, right? They've had good running backs and their tight ends, right? I mean, George Kittle, Noah Fant. And now they got this um, TJ Hawkinson. Then they've got this rookie Sam Laporta, who looks great for the, uh, for the Detroit Lions this year. So it's like they just keep producing all these great tight ends and, and, and great players at other positions. But man, it just it does not translate to points for them. I, you know, at some point, Ferenc, who's been there for forever, it was always talked about how he was there one day less than Bob Stoops. So Bob Stoops was announced, and then the very next day, Kirk Ferenc was announced. So he's been there forever, and clearly they're a good program. Like nothing to be ashamed of. They 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 maintain competitiveness. They're making bowl games every year. It's just as abysmal as their offenses has been and continues to be. Like, when do you just not make a change? Like, when do you not just make a, like, a concerted effort to say, okay, scrap whatever it is we're doing, burn the boats, here's our offensive coordinator, here are the keys, take it over. I just don't feel like Kirk Ferentz has any desire to do that. Correct. Because if, if they want it to happen, there are coordinators who can come in there with the talent that they have and score 30 to 35 points a game. There's just no way that that couldn't happen with the type of talent that they have. They've had good receivers, too. They've had receivers who have played in the NFL, right? They have offensive linemen that made the NFL. So it's all there. I think they just like to play this style. They like to control the clock and play good defense, right? It's a formula that has worked for them. And it's worked throughout really the history of college football, right? If you control the the clock, run the ball, play good defense, right? But, again, I think you need to score more points for them to be – I think they could be a better program if they scored more points. I think they could be a team that could win – the conference I don't, and legitimately make at least make a new year's six game and maybe an outside chance of a college football playoff team. 
if they put more into their offense. Well, they were almost there a couple, three years ago, remember? I mean, they played yeah. in the Big Ten championship game and were a couple plays away from making that happen. Here's the deal. Boomer Bevo podcast fans, you got to admit, this is the most um, Iowa talk any Oklahoma slash Texas show is ever going to give you, and you should feel really good about it. You can take that to parties tomorrow, tonight, whatever the case may be. Share share all this information. This is some really good talk on Iowa. South Carolina is at Missouri. Missouri um, still ranked uh, number 26 and one. So very much playing for uh, SEC East um, title rights, even though they're going to eventually lose to Georgia. South Carolina playing uh, being coached by a coach with a broken foot who kicked his foot in frustration after a loss. Would you want a coach that exhibits so little control that after a loss to a team, he kicks his foot and breaks it? It depends on what he was kicking. All right, listen, football's an emotional game. You lose a game like that. Did you just see the end of that game? The guy would be pissed, too, if I were him. Would you break right? your foot over it? I would hope not. I got to tell you. That's I- what's worse is these guys who – you see this in the NBA a lot, guys who punch fire extinguisher windows. We've seen this on multiple occasions. Guys punching fire extinguisher glass okay. and cutting up their hands. I got to check what these videos out. I got to check these videos. Yeah. I didn't know there was yeah. videos. I don't know if there's, I don't know. I never said there are videos. They're just stories. Of them. I think Carmelo Anthony did it one time, or it was Amari yeah. Stoudemire. Both, of, both, of, the, the both of those make sense. Both of those make yeah. sense. Punching a fire extinguisher. I'm like, bro, go punch the um, padding underneath the goal or something. I'm, I'm going to say this. Uh, Shane Beamer is making well over two and a half million a year. Head coach at. South Carolina, Carolina, maybe yeah, more. School? Yeah, probably yeah, more. Maybe more. Maybe three. Maybe three and a half. Like, mm-hmm. he is a multi-million dollar employee of the university, of the state of South Carolina. And I appreciate the passion, and I appreciate the willingness to win at all costs. However, have some damn self-control. I think it's embarrassing. I think it's embarrassing. I think it's stupid. I just wonder what he kicked. <laughs> Did he kick a trash can and hit his foot against a desk? Well, Google, Google it up. Through? I don't know what he kicked. I don't, know, I, man. Yeah, it I don't think it matters. Place. I don't think it yeah. matters. Like, dude, you want you don't want your coach to be a, a, a raving lunatic. You want somebody yeah. that's in control of his emotions and can manage a football game for you. Maybe if he controlled his emotions, they don't finish so crappily against Florida. Maybe they go ahead and win that game because he's in the right state of mind to control the end of the game and the end of the game situations. It's you know, a bad look. And it's I think it's kind of stupid. Everybody talks about Shane Beamer like he's the best guy in the world. He probably is, but this was stupid. This was stupid. Yeah, it is. It, it, he's a good coach, and it, I think it's frustrating for them because if you look, Spencer Rattler is quietly having a really, really good season for them, and it doesn't matter because they can't protect him. And they're not playing the complimentary football. If they do score – then they, they automatically give up a touchdown. If they make a stop, then the offense can't score. Yeah. So, so it's, been a, it's been a frustrating season for them. Stop kicking, start coaching. That's what I. That's my advice. Stop kicking, start coaching. How about that? Yeah. Got to close, right. close games. Oklahoma State at West Virginia. Oklahoma State has seemingly righted the ship over the last two weeks. Will they continue to do it against West Virginia? West Virginia is at home as a three-and-a-half-point favorite. Virginia at North Carolina. North Carolina coming off a big win against Miami, a 23-and-a-half point favorite. They will roll against Virginia. Yeah, Virginia's not a good football team. Ole Miss at Auburn. Auburn a six-point dog at home. Uh, TCU at K-State. K-State's a six-and-a-half point favorite. Texas Tech at Baylor. 
Texas Tech's a three-point favorite. This despite losing last week and seemingly every week. Texas Tech, you are a dumpster fire, and you deserve every second of it. Michigan at Michigan State. Uh, Michigan State's 24-point favorite. Duke and Florida State. Does Riley Leonard return for Duke, and do they make this a ball game and upset Florida State's chances of getting into the college football playoff? I think they do make it a game because they're so good on defense. Mike Elko, who came over from Texas A&M, he was their defensive coordinator, got the head coaching job at Duke. I think he's done an outstanding job there uh, building a roster and a culture, right? It's a confident team. They've got some pretty good players. Like I said, it's that defense. They they got the ability to cover well. They swarm to the football. Really fundamentally sound. So I think they can make it a game. Again, look, Florida State, superior talent, right? Jordan Travis, um, Jared Verse, you know how I feel about that kid at the edge position. Keon Coleman, the receiver that they got transferred from Michigan State, just, he's just been outstanding for them, man. Big, fast. Good route runner, great hands, just a playmaker for them. So it'll be a tough one for Duke, but I think they do make a game of it. Here's the deal, dude. Duke's pretty good, man. They're playing really, really well. Florida State, I look, I think Florida State is appropriately rated, right? They're at four. And I think they beat an LSU team. They beat Clemson. Like they're, they're I think they are appropriately rated for where uh, their performance to this point. I think they should be in front of Oklahoma. All that is fine. But, you know, I think Duke's better than Clemson, and it took him overtime to take care of Clemson. Yeah. So, I don't know. If, if It depends to me. It depends on how sharp Riley Leonard is. Is he back? Is he 100%? Is his timing right? Is he sharp? Like, those kind of things. I think if he is, this could be a really, really um, kind of a tough, tough spot for Florida State to be in. Because Duke is really playing with nothing, nothing to lose, right? They've already lost one game, so you know it's just going to be interesting. I like I like this matchup a lot. Um, Army's at LSU. Oklahoma's seen what Army can do if things get going, but LSU's a thirty-two and a half point favorite. Utah USC. Does Caleb Williams and the fingernails and mule shoe bounce back to beat Utah? Utah owned them last year with two wins against uh, reported in the media this week is Lincoln Riley has put out feelers to NFL teams after one loss. He's ready to jump ship and enter the NFL. Um, I think this is the beginning of the end at USC and the experiment that was Lincoln Riley. Uh, I can't imagine a scenario where this ends well. For anyone, um, they might not make it to the end of the season even playing games. That's my prediction. Maybe I'm going a bit on too far on a limb. What do you think about USC versus Utah? Well, I mean, we know what Lincoln Riley's weaknesses are as a head coach, right? I think at this point we do. However, defense, defense, correct, correct, and you know, some second half play calling that could be questionable with him. However, I am not picking against Caleb Williams. I just don't see him having a bad game two weeks in a row. This, this kid threw three interceptions all of last season. He threw three in one game against Notre Dame. I think he's going to be ready to go. And Utah, why I love what they've done defensively. I love how they run the ball. I just don't know, man, without Cam rising back. 
I just don't know if they can score enough points. Again, even though that that USC defense is bad, but I think they can key, they can really key in on Utah's running game, right? If they're one dimensional. I'm curious though, man, because I what listen. Utah does defensively, it really seemed to to it messed with Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams last year. Caleb Williams wasn't bad in either of those games, but you know, you didn't get those, you know, 400 yard, five touchdown like performances that they may need to win this game. So I don't know. I'm, I'm excited to watch this one. Well, don't forget um, Caleb Williams had losers limp in the last game against them in the PAC 12 championship where he whined about being hurt and stuff like that. So don't let that slip your mind. Number two, Notre Dame literally just put a plan together, a defensive plan to as far as how you attack this USC offense, okay, in terms of how the blitzes come, how you contain uh, Caleb Williams. I don't know if Utah can match it, but if anybody can, Utah is very well coached. Their defense is very solid. They play disciplined football. I think they can keep it really close. And here's the thing. If they keep it close, I do not trust USC's defense to even stop a backup quarterback at Utah. Again, I, I agree with you, though. I don't think this is the best spot for Utah. USC should win the game. All accounts, they are the better team, especially without a cam rising. But, dude, if Utah can figure out how to harness some of that Notre Dame scheme, it could be a lo- another long night for Caleb Williams. Yeah, and I'm curious to see what Lincoln Riley does. What? How does he adjust to what they did defensively, right? What, what's he been brewing up, plotting up this week? So I, I want to see how it goes. I want to see the mentality of him and Caleb Williams. You know, if they come out fighting. What's the spread? What, do you have a line there? I'm sorry, seven points. It. Seven points. USC's favored by seven. Okay. That's USC's favored line. at home. At home. USC's favored by seven at home. Uh, Coliseum. Okay, uh, we might come back. That might be one that's on the bubble. We might pick that game. Uh, Clemson at Miami. Miami is getting three points at home. Interesting stat on this one. Miami is uh, 0-5 in ACC home games under Mario Cristobal. Does that streak continue against Dabo Sweeney's Clemson Tigers? 0-5 in all ACC home games. That is very interesting. Man, yeah, it's yeah. you know it's interesting with Miami, right? The home atm- atmosphere, it's always it's really hit or miss, right? But they're not they don't have an on-campus stadium, right? I think that's a big deal. And yeah, the team has just been it's hard to just to get excited about them. It seemed like they were on to something at the beginning of the season, but man, too tough. The Georgia Tech loss will always be just inexplicable. And they completely fell apart against I know the score looked close, but man. North Carolina yeah. scored 24 straight against them in the second half. Yeah. To really pull away. They scored a couple garbage time touchdowns and the game was pretty much out of reach. So that was a disappointing loss for them. Oh, man, I don't know how strong mentally that team is yet. And I think about Dabble with Clemson. They haven't been having the season that they wanted to have, but they still have good players and they still have a good culture, man. So it's hard for me to pick Miami. Yeah, it really is. Um, ASU's at Washington. Washington looking to keep the momentum going. They're a 26-and-a-half-point favorite. UCLA at Stanford. Stanford getting 17. Finally on the list, Air Force is at Navy. I put this in here because Air Force is ranked 22. They're uh, in the latest AP poll. Have 11-game winning streak. 
They beat Wyoming last week in a thriller. Uh, Wyoming had only lost to Texas up until that point. We know what they did to Texas Tech. Um, But Air Force has no starting quarterback, Zach Larrier. And people think that he is the best quarterback Air Force has had there in a very, very, very long time. So Navy still an underdog, 10 and a half points. But as they play for the Commander's Cup, it'll be interesting to keep an eye on Air Force. I think any time a service academy can get in the top 25, especially this late in the season, or hell, really any time in the season, it's really cool. I love, you know, you love the stories of those guys and what for they sure. do. And so uh, let's keep an eye on the Air Force-Navy game, see if they can maintain their top 25 status. Okay, Kevin, uh, we're going to pick the OU game. We're going to pick the Texas game. We're going to pick three others. Uh, so I'll pick a game, and then you can pick a game. All right, you know what? I'm going to let you pick the first one. I'll pick one, you can pick the last one. Penn State, Ohio State, Tennessee, Bama, uh, Duke, Florida State, Utah, USC, or anything else I mentioned. Yeah, I think we do uh, Alabama, Tennessee. Okay. I just see that one. All right. All right, and then. That's it. Let's, let's USC, start there. Utah, so, okay, cool. You want to do Utah, USC is your other one? Yeah. Okay, and I'll take the Penn State, Ohio State game. Got it. Okay, uh, let's start with Penn State and Ohio State since it's at the top of the list. Um, Ohio State is giving four and a half. It's Marvin Harrison or nothing, and I just uh, am going to trust Marvin Harrison in the shoe. I'm taking Ohio State to cover the four and a half. Ohio State to cover the four and a half. You know what, man? I'm going to do the same. Penn State. I I'm, like rooting this for, team. I'm rooting for. I'm rooting for Penn yeah. State. I don't necessarily I like love James Franklin. I think he's kind of a dick, but I am going to root for Penn State. I I am rooting for them for sure. Yeah, when Penn State, it's one of those things where they just got to show us that they can go and, and get a game like that. It's a hard place to play, right? You've been in that stadium in Columbus. Awesome. You know what it's awesome. like for opposing fan, for opposing fans, right? I want to see, can Drew Allen go and handle that, overcome all that, and come out with the win? I hope we can for him at Penn State, but I'm going with the Buckeyes to cover. Uh, Tennessee at Alabama. Um, You just broke down Alabama's defense. You think it might be the best in the country. Tennessee, after a ginormous career-defining win last year in Knoxville against the Crimson Tide, does Josh Heupel have enough? to create another upset in what is assuredly supposed to be a very much low-scoring affair? I don't think so, man. I like what he's doing. I like the culture that he's building. I think he's done a better job, at least in than I expected him to do. I don't know what you thought about the higher stuff. I thought it was a tough spot, you know, to be successful at with Tennessee, right? They have a lot of tradition, but it's just hard, right? Just who you're going against. In that conference, you just kind of naturally fall down the pecking order when it comes to recruiting and everything. I think he's done a good job, but man, I don't know, and I might regret this, but I'm going to go with Alabama just because Alabama to cover the to cover the nine to cover the nine, man. Yeah, I think they're going to. I think with Joe Milton, I think they're going to have a couple of big turnovers that they create. I don't like the fact that Alabama has not run the ball well, but man, Jalen Miro, I think they're going to unlock him running the football this week. Seems like they've been holding on to that. He's been really patient in the pocket, but I think they're going to utilize his legs this week and let him go. And I think his legs are the difference in the game and a couple of big turnovers by the Alabama defense. I think Bama wins the game, 
but I think Tennessee keeps it close. I think it's a fourth quarter game. I don't think Bama's good enough to run away with it. I don't think they're good enough to win by a touchdown or more. Bama wins, but Tennessee covers the nine-point spread. Lastly, uh, Kyle Whittingham's Utah Utes going up against the USC Trojans. Kevin, I cannot pick USC. I don't care. I think I'm I'm probably going to be wrong, but I'm taking Utah to cover the seven. Okay, I'm going USC just because. Of course you are. Of course you are. You love you love Lincoln Riley. You love Caleb Williams. You love dudes that paint their nails. That's the most Texas thing in the world. You wish Caleb Williams was your quarterback so bad right now. You how's that the most Texas thing? How's that the most Texas thing? It is. It's just Texas. It's just a Texas thing to like. Look, no, I, look, I like my. You're basically you're trolling me, and you know it. This place. You we're want you want Caleb Williams as your quarterback too. I'd take him in a heartbeat. Um, okay, I like it. I like it. All right, uh, let's. We'll come back to the OU uh, in the Texas game uh, following the preview. Uh, before we get to the previews of our teams, let us thank Brown O'Haver, public insurance adjusters for the insured, not the insurance company. I can assure you that the corporate Brown O'Haver is 100% rooting for the Utah Utes. Our owner, Alice Young, born in Warren, Utah, supports all things the state of Utah, hates all things Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams. Um, In addition to her strong hate for USC, she hates seeing insureds being taken advantage of by insurance companies. That's why in 2006, she started Brown O'Haver, Oklahoma, to fight for the insureds against insurance companies. She works for you, not the insurance company. Whether you've had a loss to your home or business, fire, wind, theft, tornado, you want to give Brown O'Haver a call at 405-735-5510. We typically get our clients 30 to 40% more than they get on their own. And if you tell Alice Young that you too hate Caleb Williams and USC, she will work extra hard on your claim to get you 31 to 41% more than you get on your own. So give us a call, 405-735-5510. Kevin, what can you tell us about the Houston Cougars and the University of Texas and the matchup that we don't already know? Well, here's what I can tell you, first of all, and you might know this, but like most people, they hate Texas, right? And it goes back to the whole Southwest Conference thing. They got left out, right? We started this new conference. We merged with the old Big 8, started the Big 12. Only a few schools got invited, Texas, Texas A&M, Baylor, and Texas Tech. And the rest of the schools got left out. They kind of been having to find their way ever since then. So the hatred is still there. I'm not sure if that is exclusively a Texas thing, a University of Texas thing, but as always, when it comes to every decision that's made that affects anybody else and Texas is somehow involved in it, it's going to be all our fault. That's fine, right? We'll take the blame. We'll, we don't mind that. But yeah, so it's going to be a bit of a grudge match with their fans and, you know, the long-term, the long-time alumni of the university. So it should be a um, pretty hostile atmosphere for Texas and for the players. But I think it'll be a fun atmosphere as well we'll also have a lot of fans there because you know we feel like texas is ours right so it should be a great atmosphere i'm looking forward to it how many of your recruits come out of houston is that a pretty good recruiting base for you You know it it's been up and down 
right? Tom Herman did a great job there because being the coach at the University of Houston, he had made a few connections there. So he really recruited Houston well. Right now, we seem to be more focused on Dallas, right? We've done a better job there than in Houston. But again, the talent in Houston hasn't been as strong as it was at the end of the last decade. But, I mean, it's always going to be incredibly important because players from Houston go everywhere. They go to AM, they go to LSU, they go to Oklahoma, they go to Alabama now, right? When Alabama went to the – excuse me, when AM went to the SEC, kind of opened the door. LSU was always done a good job, even in the early 2000s and late 90s, right? LSU's been getting players out of there. But, you know, now you get Alabama and all the schools from the SEC coming in. So it's always going to be a very important – recruiting base for Texas? Um, Oklahoma typically recruits pretty good in Houston. Uh, I know when we had Kevin Sumlin on staff, we were really, really good in Houston. And I think he carried that over to A&M. A&M, obviously, that's their stronghold. Um, I do think it's important for Texas to beat down Houston and just kind of assert that dominance in the recruiting world. Um I, I do think it does kind of suck, you know, like, okay, so I equate Houston to like Tulsa and, and the University of Tulsa, University of Houston. They're both, is Houston a, actually a public school though? I think it is. I believe it is. Yeah. So maybe that's a little different. Tulsa is a private school. Still though, it's, it's always worked out for Oklahoma to have Tulsa on its schedule. It's one yeah. more in-state game to play. It, um, it's an easy travel schedule, that sort of thing. I, I find it odd that Texas and Houston haven't played that often. Have y'all played yeah, since this? We played them, okay, in 2001 and 2002, we had a home-and-home. Home, okay? okay, they came to um, – we went there in 2001, and it was a bizarre deal, right? So they were supposed to build these extra bleachers to fill the demand of Texas fans who had bought tickets for the game. They had bought them through either through Texas or through the University of Houston. And the day of the game, they said, oh, well, these bleachers aren't safe. So thousands that. of Texas fans, do you remember, I remember that? Remember yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Couldn't get in. And I think ever since then, I think it rubbed you know Texas the wrong way with all their fans not being able to get in. So we haven't. there hasn't been a scheduled game with them since literally since then. Um, are the are the stands safe now for Texas to yes, show up? Yes, the they play in a different stadium now. They've built a new stadium since then, so I'm going to assume that this one is going to be safe. And whoever wants to get in can get a get, get a ticket. We'll be able to get in. What is the uh, strength of the Houston Cougars, and what is the weakness that y'all are going to be most likely to attack? Well, the strength is their offense, right? Dana Holgerson, right. It's been really interesting with him. He left West Virginia on his own. He didn't get fired. He didn't get pushed out. He chose to leave the University of West Virginia to come to the University of Houston because of access to talent in the city. So far, it hasn't really worked out. He hasn't been bad. It's been very mediocre, right? I mean, it's just been average. The fan support doesn't seem, there doesn't seem to be a buzz around the program, right? A few weeks ago, they had their first Big 12 game ever in the stands were maybe maybe two-thirds full. And you think about that, right? You would you would imagine that University of Houston being in the Big 12 is something that they had been wanting 
for a very long time. So you finally get into a power five conference and then you can't even sell out the stadium for that. Which is, which is odd, right? Because it's not a ginormous stadium, right? It only seats 35, 40,000. I would think so. Let's see. Um, And I'm not even sure about that, but what's interesting about that is to go back to the game that OU played in, um, in whatever the name of that stadium 16, is. The tech, oh, um, uh, the, Reliant, well, it used to be Reliant. Yeah, it was Reliant. It was NRG. Reliant, yeah. NRG, Reliant, whatever. When when Oklahoma played, I, I was under the impression that, golly, you know, this is going to be, you know, 60-40 Houston, and there's going to be 40%. There's a big Oklahoma contingent in Houston, you know, whatever the case may be. Dude, it was, it was closer to 80-20, and Texas, they, that place was full. It was sold out. It was a fantastic environment. Um, and so to see that Texas or that Houston can draw the fans, and then to your point, with an on-campus game, first game in the Big 12, and they can't draw the fans to fill their stadium, which is about half the size of that one, that's odd. That's it's really, really bizarre, odd. right? So, yeah, the buzz just hasn't haven't been there. Now, obviously, this one, the game is sold out. I think Hogan was saying it's the first sellout they've had in years. So it should be a fun atmosphere, right? And but it's their offense. It's it's Daniel Hogerson. We know what he does offensively, right? He's had off, good offenses as a coordinator, going back to Tech at Oklahoma State, and then as head coach at West Virginia. So same thing, right? They got Donovan Smith. Texas fans remember him. He was the quarterback for Texas Tech, who beat Texas last year with him as a starting quarterback. So he's a big physical guy. He's got a pretty strong arm. He can make some throws down the field. And he can pick up yards scrambling, right? He's not a super fast guy, but he's, again, six foot five. He can pick up tough yards, too, on fourth down. They run some design quarterback stuff with him. So he's really the biggest threat. They've got some good receivers, too. Why did so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Why did he leave Texas Tech? Was he just not going to start? Know, I don't know what the deal was. Right, you're, I mean, you're you're throwing they, out this, you're throwing out the size of this kid, and I'm thinking, my God, how does the coaching staff let him get away? And then you look yeah. at their rec, you look at a Texas Tech record right now, and you're thinking, uh, they could probably use a big, strong kid at quarterback. What? Yeah, you, it's funny they got, but they got Texas Tech has Tyler Shuck, who's pretty much the same size. Okay, so maybe yeah. he's just gonna lose. You know what I mean? So yeah, maybe, maybe so. I'm not sure. He just wanted a fresh start. I'm not sure what his reasonings were for leaving. So he's been okay, but I mean, they're averaging 29 points a game, but they're allowing 31. We talked about what are we going to attack and it's their defense. They haven't, they haven't really been able to stop anybody. Right. I mean, they allowed 43 to rice, 36 to TCU, 49 to Texas tech, and then 39 to West Virginia, even though they won that game, kind of a bizarre ending, like you were talking about earlier. But, yeah, this team is not very good defensively. I expect us to see if we can establish a run game with Jonathan Brooks. And if we can't establish that, I think they're just going to run, 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 and then just set up RPO or a couple of deep shots. Honestly, man, when it comes to Texas, this point going forward, the, the biggest opponent they have is themselves. I think if they have the right mentality, they come out aggressive and with a high level of intensity, they should handle Houston along with the rest of the teams on the, they're on the schedule for the rest of the season. That, that's can, really what I'm looking for in this game. Now, you've had a bye week, but how concerned are you with a Oklahoma hangover? How concerned are you with the loss? I think 
I mean, obviously the talk track from Sark is everything is still in front of you. You're going to bl- most likely have a chance to avenge that loss. The college football playoff is a real deal, et cetera, et cetera. Um, will the players listen to that? Are they bought into that? And do you feel like not to worry? This is a different team. Well, first off, I, I, I told you this after the, the day after the Red River shootout loss that as a fan, I'm not focused on a rematch against Oklahoma right now, right? I hope the players are focused on just improving and getting better at the things that Oklahoma were able to exploit in that game and improving that to make sure that that doesn't happen against not just Oklahoma, but any team that we face going forward, right? Because we still have a lot of good teams, teams that they show up and play really well and we don't can beat Texas, right? K-State, yeah. TCU. I don't think right? Houston's, I don't think Houston's one of those though. I don't, I, I, don't, I, don't, I just I don't think, think they are. I hope that the team is, is angry, right? And they got that nasty taste of losing in your mouth and they've had to deal with it for two weeks, right? Having a bye week after a loss. So I hope they come out aggression, aggressive and take out all of their frustrations on the University of Houston. That's what I want to see. I don't want to see a flat start, right? Listen, you've had you had a week off. You got some guys healthy. Come out with your hair on fire and just get this job done. Take care of these dudes. Get your confidence back. And let's just get ready for the rest of the season. Okay. I think they're going to have to come out with their hair on fire because it is a 23-and-a-half point spread. Houston getting 23-and-a-half. Um, I just, I don't know. I don't think Houston's very good. I know they beat West Virginia. I just don't think the big 12 is really good. We've said this before. Uh, every time one of them comes up, they just whack and bowl themselves back into the ground. You know, you think West Virginia might be good. I, I don't think they are. Um, I'm going to say Texas covers. I, it's a lot of points, especially for a conference game. But at this, but at the same time, it's not a true. In my mind, it's not a true conference game because Houston hasn't seen you guys before. I just don't trust yeah, it right I'm now. Taking, I'm taking they don't Texas have a to cover. They don't have a power five roster at this point yet, right? They've got some good players, right? Because you, just being in Houston, you're going to get talented players from the city. Yeah, but yeah, they don't have the horses to keep up right now, and I think Texas should roll in this game, right? You got Texas. You got Texas to cover. I do have Texas covering. Okay. I really want to see him establish a running game. I want to see some deep shots off of the play action and RPO game. And I want to see a better effort defensively. And I want to see any bust in the secondary. And I want to see good tackling on the quarterback. You saw that against Oklahoma where we struggled to tackle in the secondary on your receivers. Again, I'm not trying to take anything away from your receivers, but you got to get guys like, you know, Jaleel Farouk, and you got to get these guys, Andrew Anthony, you got to get these guys on the ground, right? And you got to be able to tackle the quarterback. So that, that's, well, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for intensity. I'm looking for just fundamental stuff. Well, that's what Kevin Miller's looking for from the University of Texas. I'll tell you what I'm looking for at the University of Oklahoma running the ball. Uh, we talk about strengths and weaknesses. Uh, the strength for the University of Central Florida is their ability to run the ball. Uh, their offensive line is one of 23 schools listed in the Joe Moore Award. They are third nationally with 246.3 yards a game. They're getting their quarterback back, who last year threw 63% completion percentage, 2,586 yards, also rushed for 862 yards, 
had 25 total touchdowns. They are pretty good offensively. They are pretty bad defensively. Teams are running all over them. Their pass defense is good. Teddy Lehman made a good point, though. He thinks their pass defense is so good because nobody passes against them because it's so much easier to run against them. So I think that's an interesting yeah, what way are to... they allowing, 197 yards a game, something like that? Yes. Yeah, it's really, yeah. it's really not good. Now, here's the deal, right? That's been Oklahoma's weakness. That's not so much their kryptonite or anything. It's just been their weakness. We haven't been great running the ball. Uh, we've got two weeks since the Oklahoma game. Uh, we've got no word on Javante Barnes. We talked about Gavin Sawchuck. So we still are in this kind of nebulous space. I think we can agree after six games, Talway Walker is our guy. I want to see us feed the ball and just take advantage of this really crappy uh, run defense. And then defensively, let's. it's going to be really interesting to see how our linebackers and defensive lines step up. Like this is probably, you know, even though they're listed as um, a better offensive line, I think it's probably, is this a better offensive line than Texas has? I don't know. To me, that's hard to say. It's hard to say, right? We're talking about a team. I know they're in the Big 12 now, but they, they don't have a Power 5 roster yet from top to bottom. Right? And yeah. I just – I don't see it, man. You talked about the running game for OU. What a great opportunity to get some confidence in your running game. I mean, this team allowed 399 yards rushing to Kansas. Yeah. With Jason Bean at quarterback. 399 yards rushing. I mean, just a rare number to see in this – modern-day college football. So this is just a great opportunity to get that offensive line going and really get those backs going and get some confidence. Even if it's fool's gold, right, going up against a bad defense, sometimes you need that just to build some confidence going forward. this This is a perfect opponent to have after a bye week and after a, a big win against a school like Texas because you're. Go- I just can't imagine they're going to get up for this game. So the only way to combat that is just be better. And they are. They're better than this team. And to be more physical, they're going to have to be. I think our defensive line is going to be forced to be more physical. I think our linebackers are going to be forced to be more physical. I think the hitting is going to come early and often on the defensive side of the ball. So I think this is really, really good, a really good spot to have to play UCF. Uh, I worry a little bit about their, their quarterback coming back, that he might find some magic. Although we haven't had a lot of magic from quarterbacks. I mean, our the best quarterback performance was was against Texas, and we picked him off twice, uh, caused a fumble. So I think we're in good shape defensively. I think it travels better. Um, but it's just kind of a weird spot. You know, they do have two really good running backs, R.J. Harvey, 89 carries, 511 yards, six touchdowns, um, also has 172 receiving yards and two touchdowns in the air. And then Johnny Richardson has 444 uh, one rushing yards, but is averaging 8.3 yards a carry. So again, yeah, that was pretty eye-opening right there. Seeing a guy who had 53 carries at 8.3 yards a pop. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. Right? And so again, it's a it's a it's a it, it's a challenge for the defense. And so I think that those guys are going to be up, and then the ineptitude of the US UCF defense, especially in the running game. I just I don't envision a scenario where Oklahoma doesn't um, doesn't play really really well. 
It's going to be at home. You're going to have a really welcoming crowd. Yeah, exactly. I mean, listen, the crowd should be up for it, right? I'm sure, you know, you're going to have some clips from the Texas game in the intro. That'll get the crowd going, right? Again, this running game, I, I do think you guys need to be aware of John Reese's, John Reese Plumley's ability to run the football, too. Yep, six point six yards a pop running the ball from the quarterback. I mean, that's that's a lot when you you know because sack yardage is included in that. So now is Malzahn is so Gus Malzahn's the head coach. Um, won a national championship with Auburn uh, with Cam Newton. He was that actually was a, the uh, offensive coordinator on that for that team. Who was the head coach? Gene Chizik. That's right. Was there head from coach. Iowa State? From Iowa State. That's correct. Um. I just think it's uh, that kind of offense that he runs. Is it is it the same kind of Cam Newton offense? Is it quarterback run heavy with a lot of called runs? Is it more RPO? Think, like what are we looking at? I think at? there's some RPO, know? and I think they do run some zone read, like like they did with Cam. Obviously, I mean Cam was yeah. a freaking unicorn, right? One of yeah. one. But um, yeah, I think it, the offense is still basically the same. I think it's evolved a little bit to a more RPO base with it. But it's kind of like kind of like some of the plays you guys were running with Dylan Gabriel that that he ran that quarterback power play down in the red zone. You scored your first touchdown after the Quinn Ewers interception. You see a lot of plays like that out of this offense. Right. And they'll set up to where it looks like it could be a quarterback run and they'll stop and do a pop pass. Okay. Things yeah. like that. So That's it'll require some discipline from That's what I that's what I remember from those Auburn offenses, though. Yeah. It's kind of that. Now, is there, let me ask you this. Is there any concern? Because as good, it was an interesting game for the OU defense when you talk about the Texas game, right? Because when you look at it, you forced the three turnovers, right? Mm-hmm. You know, two interceptions from Quinn and then the forced fumble. But if you look at it, Quinn was very accurate, right? 31 37, 350 yards. Then you also allowed a 31, excuse me, 100 yard, 130 yards from Jonathan Brooks running the ball. So, like, What's the thought on the defense? Is it anything you can fix? Or do you feel like, hey, we were playing a really good opponent. They're going to put up numbers, but we're able to keep them out of the end zone and to force some turnovers. Like, like, What's the thought from OU fans on that? Well, first of all, uh, we would have killed for a performance like that against a quality opponent at any time over the last seven or eight years. Yeah. Killed for it. So when you ask, is there anything we need to fix about it? I mean, there's a lot of OU fans saying, my God, no, let's, if we could do that every game against a quality opponent, we're going to have a chance to win. Yeah. Um, and don't forget. Been goal- think, though. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. The goal line stand. Don't forget the sure. goal line stand, which I think if nothing else, is just something to build on, you know, I, I think he cannot be happy with the quick passing game that was gutting us up the middle, especially in the second half. And then he can't be happy with the run defense, but here's the thing, dude, Texas is good. Like, yeah, that's- exactly. So it's a, it's a really good opponent. Yeah. If, if and we by this, far the best opponent you're going to face during the regular season. If we have these same, if we have these, if we have those stats where the quarterback is that accurate, and we have the rush a rusher, if if both of these guys rush for both of them rush over a hundred yards, then you're like, okay, that's a problem. Like because this team isn't any good, but that that's a problem. But for Texas to do it, you're like, no, our our job was give our offense a chance to win the game, which they did, and so. I don't I'm not overreacting from any um deficiencies on defense. 
And to be to your point, though, I'm not overreacting with any just like we're we're so amazing on defense. I don't know that we're so amazing, but dude, we're just so much better. We're so much yeah. better than we were. And uh, you know, Gentry Williams, it's just so interesting, right? When you look at our, our corners, is um, you know, Woody Washington is I don't know if he's so good or if offensive coordinators this just think he's so good, but they just refuse to throw to that side. They just flat refuse to throw it. And all Gentry Williams is doing is making hay on all the balls he's getting between knockdowns and tackles and interceptions. And it, it's just, it's really exciting to see. And so to have two corners that can play like that. And then you've got Danny Stutzman, who midway through the season was named uh, a second team mid-season All-American. I still think he should be first second team. team. That's what I predict. Yeah, second team, but still, dude. I mean, come on. Yeah. At the beginning of the year, that was a very bold prediction by me that Danny Stutzman was going to be an All-American. And here he is truly jockeying for a first-team All-American position. Um, and that's right at the center of our defense. So, you know what? I feel really, really good about where we're at. But I, I think Venables knows there's plenty to address. Funny uh, story about Stutzman, though. I want to get your thoughts on this. Uh, so he's on the prairie on the pod uh, or the pod on the prairie or the Prairie Pod, whatever. They got a podcast. And he's on there with, with the other some other football players and stuff. Have you seen this? Are you aware of which podcast I'm talking about? I'm aware of it. Uh-huh. Yeah. And he was on, and he was talking about living in Central Florida, being in very close proximity with the university, having attended their camps, and not getting recruited. He was never recruited, never given an offer letter, nothing. That is so interesting. And he said that it was really interesting because other guys that had his same measurables, his same height and weight and 40 times and all these other things, a lot of the similar stats were getting recruited and he wasn't, even though he was located right there. Do you know, or do you want to guess what one of his reasons were for not what he believes? And I think he truly believes it for not getting recruited by the University of Central Florida. No, let's hear it. He held up a black Sharpie and said, this is the reason I wasn't recruited to central Florida. Do you agree that reverse racism occurs on the football field? I do. I do. It's really interesting because yeah. I mean, when's the last time we've seen a white cornerback? Jason Seahorn. Jason Seahorn. Okay. That's the only one I can even think of. Riley Moss who got drafted, I think in the second or third round at corner. Ran a four, three. That's the only reason he got drafted is probably because he ran a 4-3. Like, yeah, he has to convince people. If you look at the SEC, right, and we talk about the SEC, right, obviously the last conference to, to integrate in the late 1960s, early 1970s. Look at an SEC defense right now. Any team. Do you see any yeah. white players on defense at all? No. I mean, just, yeah. So it's interesting, right? Like, and, it's, and, again, it's white coaches who are making these decisions. Well, that's, 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 what's, a, exact, that's the interesting that's what's, thing about it. That's what's so fascinating about it is um, it's not so much – it's definitely not overt racism because yeah. that would be really it, – it's more – The perception deal. Yeah. yeah. It's a perception type. It's a systemic deal. perception that what I'm used to seeing is what is what should be the case. Yeah. Even though – What's interesting, though, is at the linebacker position, because so many 
linebackers who are white have been really, you know, you talk about corners and that would, I almost do. I'm almost sitting here thinking, I don't even think white guys can play corner. Like I don't even, you know, that's just so far yeah. out of the realm, but at linebacker, you, I don't know. You know, you even think about in the, I'm thinking of Vander Esch right now. Um, I guess the Bosa boys are both on the defensive line, but you know, it's not that odd to think about a white linebacker. No, I, I, no not at all. Not in the least. But I, I don't think he's wrong. I think his, I think his thought process is probably pretty accurate. So I don't know. Yeah, I find it interesting. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's, it's really interesting when it comes to, to recruiting and, and how, how that works. Yeah. I, I don't understand why that is. Right. If well, the guy I could play, if he could run, like, you know, and I'm curious, did he not run well? Did he not test well? It's just so interesting to have a guy like that local and you don't offer him. And he ends up at freaking Oklahoma. Yeah. And you yeah. have bloodlines, too. So, you know, his dad played college football. Well, I don't know. I think it's fascinating. And I really like the candor. And and, and your reaction is very similar to, to his teammates' reaction on the, on that podcast. Like, they were not surprised by this at all. They're like, yeah, that's yeah. kind of where we uh-huh. thought you were going. So it's yeah. just uh, – it's um, it's an interesting dynamic. It's always interesting to see how race intersects with sports, but sometimes it does it in a way you don't really anticipate it. And I think that was one of those times where it was like, really, what? Okay, well, he's showing everybody yeah, now right. that uh, white white boys can can play at least they can play linebacker. They might not be able to play corner, but they can play linebacker. So yeah, but uh, well, I mean, I guess my point of this is like, well, why not? Now it might not, it might be a smaller pool, but you can't tell me. Like guys who could, who are really good at wide receiver couldn't play corner, right? Like, oh, hundred, no, hundred percent. Yeah, they just like, never get put there. No, no, and it's gonna start from a young age, right? If the yes. white kid is fast, you can play receiver, you can play quarterback. We, you know, we're not gonna put you at corner. But it's you know, you know, it all goes back to the words that are used to describe players, though, right? Right. It, you think about the words. It, I always think about basketball. You know, you see a you see a a, a white guy and. He's fundamentally sound, and he, you know, is gym uh, rat. You know, he's a gym rat. Guy. And, yeah, you know that that's your, and yet the same player that's black is athletic, and you know, yeah. can, watch, can jump. Watch the tape. That's yeah, can jump out of the gym. Player. Yeah, it's, I say about any player, just just watch the tape. Absolutely, no, hundred percent. Watch the tape, man. So anyway, there you go. Danny Stutzman, breaking barriers. All right. Uh, Oklahoma, 17.5-point favorite. Oklahoma covers. Yeah, Oklahoma covers. I, I agree, man. Central Florida. Like it. Not ready Oklahoma. yet. They don't have the – they just don't have the roster. Well, I want to talk about this real quick. How bizarre must this be for Dylan Gabriel? Think about this, man. We just haven't really seen this in college football yet. We've seen players transfer, but we've never seen – not that I can remember a quarterback who's been as successful as Dylan Gabriel and was there for so long, go transfer to another school because, you know, it's just a better opportunity, right? It would have been a better opportunity at UCLA. And obviously, OU was an even better opportunity. And then to play against his former team. I mean, to me, it seems like it would be incredibly emotional. Especially because it seems like he was on really good terms with that team. Yeah, correct. He didn't get kicked off off the team. Yeah. He didn't hate it, the coach. Yeah. Um, right. 
I'm, I'm trying to think, you know, I think about like Russell Wilson. He came from NC State, went to Wisconsin. Yeah, but he never, yeah. He, like, he wouldn't if, have played. I, I compare it to something like that. If he would have, if they would have played each other, you know, what that would have been like for him. Now, again, the terms were different. The coach just pretty much wanted him out so he could play Mike Lennon. Yeah. Right? He wanted Mike Lennon to, to start and didn't want Russ to play um, the he minor league let- baseball thing he would do in the spring. He didn't want to let Russ cook, is what you're telling me. Correct. He wanted, because Russ used to do the minor league baseball thing in the offseason. He was like, well, if you do that, then you're not the starter. So that's when he left and ended up going to to Wisconsin. So I just just can't imagine what that's like. You know, I don't know if you saw, like, there's a clip of Brendan Thompson kind of just, he had this almost bewildered look on the field after the game, after the Red River shootout game. I didn't see it. It was just after the game. And he didn't even play a snap that I remember him in there. And it was, he even seemed kind of overwhelmed by, by the, so I just can't imagine. Obviously, this game is not the same as the Red River Shootout, which is going to be emotional regardless of who's playing. And what you know, but for him to be there for so long and then to be facing, you know, I'm, there's still got to be guys on the team that that he's friends with and has really good relationships with. So it's going to well, be kind of I, weird, though. We'll see how I he handles that. He's so even kill. I think it'll, he'll be fine. But it's just got to be a, a, a weird situation. You know, Baker played Texas Tech. Yeah. That was, was a only, grudge match, though. Yeah, I know. He was only there one year, and the feelings were not, you know, obviously not. Correct. Yeah, they didn't offer him a scholarship. And, you know, the, Baker's mad at everything, right? He had to chip oh, on the shoulder it. against every yeah. single. So, just, yeah. Dylan Gabriel's not like that, no. right? He's just not that. He's just more of a mild, no, no. even kill guy. So, And, again, he did, like I, like we said, he didn't leave. You know, he wasn't put. He just said, you know, it's time for him to leave, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, God, I bet he's happy he came to Oklahoma instead of UCLA. I think he probably yeah. might have done some good stuff at UCLA. And they have a chip shot scheme. And they've got a good season right now. So who knows? But dude, NIL, you I mean, when the quarterback at Oklahoma is rolling, you are a Heisman trophy candidate right away. Correct. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Six games in this season. There's levels to this stuff, right? Kind of reminds me of you know the Hitch Whiteman story, right? He's committed to Oklahoma State, you know, decided to take a late visit to OU, and it's just like, oh, this is different. There's levels to this. Uh, do you remember the same thing with UCLA and and compared to Oklahoma? Do you remember when? Uh, well, you might not remember. Do you, uh, Troy Aikman got inducted into the Oklahoma Sports Hall of Fame? Okay, and he said that his greatest accomplishment in Oklahoma was being the backup to Jamil Holloway. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm I'm always curious with him as the quarterback of OU. What would that have looked like? So would they I've have got- won the national championship because. I've got the a good, wishbone. They ran the wishbone, and he was obviously not a wishbone guy. I've got a very good friend uh, that I'm actually playing golf with in the morning. So hopefully he's – I don't know if he'll listen to this uh, before then or not, but i got a very good friend that I'm going to play golf with. Older gentleman, right, Oklahoma historian. His, his real expertise is basketball, but, you know, Oklahoma all the way. His, his contention is that losing Aikman, getting Jamel Holloway – and even with winning a national championship in 1985, that losing Aikman set our program back and forced us um, to continue to run the wishbone way longer than would have been advisable, would have helped us to compete. And we started to lose out on recruiting. We missed the curve in college football when that offenses would have changed. And all of those things. He believes it led to what was ultimately our decline in the 90s. 
all because we stayed with the wishbone longer than we should have and all stemming from losing Troy Aikman. And if you think about it, think about this, dude. You had Troy Aikman. You had Keith Jackson on those teams. Now, Keith Jackson goes down as one of the greatest tight ends in college football history. People love Keith Jackson. Imagine if he had a quarterback that could throw him the ball. I mean, he would have been dynamic. Um, So it, it, it is really fascinating. I mean, they still lost that Miami game. Who knows? They could have still gone on and won out like that team did with with uh, Troy Aikman. So yeah. I don't. I won't say they absolutely didn't do it. And what's all interesting about that is many people think Jamel Holloway is the greatest option quarterback of all time. Like, yeah, Kirk Herbstreit when he talks about option quarterbacks, it's Jamel Holloway and everybody else. Like that's how good that guy was running the option, but. It is a fascinating thought to say, did it ultimately hurt OU as a program, even though they won a national championship out of it? Yeah, it's pretty crazy, right? Right? Because, and again, the hardest thing was the next season, right? When Eggman's back, right? Yeah. The leg is healed up. And if you're switching, what a dilemma, right? Do I start this incredibly talented guy who's going to be a future number one draft pick and going to be a Hall of Famer? Or do I just stick with the guy who literally just won me a national championship? How do you how do you choose there, right? Yeah, it's it's an incredibly hard decision. I don't envy. I guess that's why he got paid the big bucks to have to make a decision like that. Yeah, and who's you know you, you think this guy just won a national championship? I've got a great defense. Let's go win another couple more. But um, you know, you, you started to see though with three losses to Miami in those late 80 years, 80s years, you know, that was the only team keeping Oklahoma from being an all-time great team was that Miami team, right? They were really, really good. Three losses in two years, right? And you think to yourself, Mike, well, if you had eight, man, if you had a little bit more of a wide-open offense, what could have happened? Who knows? It's uh, it's fascinating. But, yeah, my good friend, that's his – that Greg Malden's his name. That's his thought. And it's just really hard to rectify. I mean, but wouldn't you take a national championship? Like, wouldn't I take a national championship right now to have my team flounder. Well, now that I'm kind of in the middle of it or a little, I don't know if I would like, I don't want, but then again, yeah, yeah you don't want to live the nineties again, but not, but natties are natties though, right? Natties are natties and there's not very many of them and they still get to hang yeah. that 98, not the, the 85 one up. So yeah. Um, man, yeah, that's some good times. All right, yeah. dude, we've Shout run, to we've run uh, a little long, but that's okay. Cause it's a boomer Bebo podcast. If you've been listening this long, you're the real ones and we appreciate you. Kevin, good luck against Houston this week and Oklahoma. So let's just let's just beat down UCF. All right, bud. Have a good evening. Boomer. Welcome. Okay.